0: Suppose a stranger walked up to you and said, do you want your life to change? How might you respond? Most of us would respond with questions of our own, either expressing curiosity, why do you ask me that? Change in what way? Or with a tone of cynicism, who are you? And what are you selling? In the story we're about to hear, Jesus learns of a man who has been an invalid for 38 years, and he approaches the man with a question. The man is among a group of other disabled persons who hang out by a spring-fed pool called Bethesda, just inside one of the gates leading into the city of Jerusalem. The gate in the time of Jesus was known as the Sheep's Gate, but today it is referred to as the Lion's Gate or the Gate of St. Stephen. Visit Jerusalem today and you can find this very site just north of the Temple Mount in the Arab quarter of the Old City. It has been excavated and the remains fit the description of what is recorded in John's Gospel. Apparently, the reason Paralyzed individuals congregated at this spot had to do with the belief that the waters, when spontaneously stirred, had curative powers. Further, it was believed that an angel of the Lord was the agent behind the movement of this water. Whoever was the first person to enter the pool at that precise moment would be healed. I want to thank Chris Studer for the use of his photos, which helps us visualize this location. The Gospel account does not tell us how often the waters at this pool were stirred in this way, but we can suppose two things from this story. Someone had been healed in these waters at some time, or else there would be no reason for people to believe it was possible, nor continue to gather there. Secondly, the stirring of the waters was an unpredictable and unusual occurrence. Continue reading this story in John 5 and you will see that John focuses on the fact that the healing took place on a Sabbath, which brings Jesus directly into conflict with Jerusalem's religious authorities. Ordinarily, my sermon follows the intent of the biblical writer But today I am taking a devotional approach to this story as a way of connecting our lives with that of this man in his encounter with Jesus. I would like to suggest that the change Jesus introduced by healing this man results in him being as shook up as at the time he first learned he would no longer have use of his legs. Thus, in asking the man, do you want to be made well? Jesus might as well have been asking him, Do you want your life to change? Let us turn our attention to the reading of God's Word by Jan Thomas.
1: John 5 verses 1-9 to Some time later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals now there is in jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool which in aramaic is called bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered porches here a great number of disabled people used to lie the blind the lame the paralyzed one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years when jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time jesus asked the man Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was made well. He picked up his mat and walked. The word of the Lord.
0: Knowing what we do about Jesus, that he is good, compassionate, and able to heal, we certainly understand why he addresses this man. As readers of John's gospel, we anticipate what is coming. A healing is about to take place. Knowing what we do about this man, we might have expected a different kind of response to Jesus' question. Something along the line of, Yes, of course I want to be made well. Why else would I get help to be brought here and hope to get into these miraculous waters if I didn't want to be cured? But with his actual reply, we hear the hopeless, hopelessness and futility in his voice at the prospect of ever being healed. It's not likely to happen for two reasons. First, because the stirring of the waters is not a common occurrence. And secondly, he has no one to help him into the water at just the right time. He may think Jesus is offering to assist him, but how realistic is it for someone to wait with this man every moment of every day for who knows how long? The paralyzed man believed that in order for him to be healed or be made well, It required effort on his part to meet the effort on God's part. You could even say the difference in religious beliefs diverge over the ratio or proportion of effort assigned to each party. Most religions require a greater amount of human effort done for and with reverence toward the divine. Christian faith sees it just the opposite. The weight of effort lies with God. It's God's initiative, God's work, God's effort that matters, that saves us. Our effort is merely in response to God's. In the case of the disabled man, his reply to Jesus' question indicates that the reason he has not been healed already is due to his inability to enter the water at the right time. His his human effort was lacking, and without it, he had little to no chance of divine intervention. You've heard the expression, God helps those who help themselves. This man thought that was the only way he could be healed. But nowhere in the Bible will you find support for this notion, nor is this how the Bible presents the effort equation. Story after redemptive story, the Bible reveals that God helps those who need God's help. God intervenes in spite of someone's failed or untried efforts. In this story, it is Jesus who invites the possibility of healing by asking the invalid if he wants to be made well. Faith or trust in God is the only ingredient or element or effort if you will, that is necessary to meet God's merciful intervention for healing, forgiveness, and salvation. For most of us, this effort equation is not confined to major life events only, but it's also how most of us live out our faith on a daily basis. We may not even be aware of how we express faith in this way. Some of us approach our daily routine and tasks as if God is not needed. It is all human effort. In crass terms, this view relegates God to the role of a magical genie whom we summon when we cannot manage the situation on our own. We may claim to be followers of Jesus, but in effect, we want to set our own agenda and have Jesus follow us and help us when called upon. By contrast, others of us begin every day with a simple prayer. Lord, I'm yours. You have won my heart, my allegiance, and my ambition. Help me rely on you this day. Direct and guide my path. I want to be attentive to how you might use me to represent you and bring honor to your name. And if I get out of step with you or find my safe Find myself way out in front. Remind me, I follow you. Authentic faith understands and relies upon the ever-present and active role God desires to play in our lives. All efforts on our part are little more than a matter of response to God similar to the man's mistaken belief that he lacked adequate effort to secure his healing, are the excuses he made for why he remained paralyzed. Excuses reflect how we explain our human condition and our inability to affect change for the better. Excuses are how we cope with disappointment and resign ourselves to the reality we are forced to live with. Excuses like, I don't have the willpower to overcome temptation. I haven't been given the opportunities others have. I don't know the right people. I'm too weak, too slow, too fearful, too overwhelmed. Excuses can become the theme of a person's life story. I have no one to help me get into the water in time. In effect, this man tells Jesus, I have no realistic chance of ever being made well. I'm unable to make it happen. Jesus agrees. On his own, this man will never be made well. As long as he thinks his healing is primarily a matter of human effort, he has no chance whatsoever. But Jesus does what this man could not do. With compassion and and authority, Jesus tells the man, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well. Water was not the source of his healing, but the words spoken by Jesus. Not only does Jesus disrupt this man's day, he disrupts his life. We're not told when or how he became paralyzed, just the number of years he had endured a life of restricted mobility. The paralysis had devastated him and severely altered his life. Now Jesus introduces another change that will shake up this man's life for good. 38 years is a long time. So long, in fact, that one becomes accustomed to living with limitations. 48 weeks, by comparison, is not long. However, for those of us who have observed the health and safety precautions due to the coronavirus and not taken risks to gather for in-person worship and Christian fellowship, it's been too long. As we continue to wait for more people to become inoculated and for the spread of the virus to no longer be a threat, let us consider how we might answer this question. Do we want to come back for worship? At church? Or have we gotten used to a routine of viewing online worship, tuning into the recording of worship with options to view it at any time of our choosing, possibly in our pajamas with coffee and a treat in hand? People have admitted to me that they like the flexibility of watching and listening to the service when they want, where and how they want and as little or as much as they want. Some have also indicated that once restrictions are lifted, returning to church may not be among their highest priority. Just as COVID-19 brought change and required major adjustments to our lives, so the longed-for signal that we've reached herd immunity or the risk level is sufficiently low enough will also become a significant change requiring even more adjustments. Change is difficult, even for religious people, which is why we tell jokes about it. How many Episcopalians does it take to change a light bulb? 10, one to actually change the bulb and nine to say how much they like the old one. How many members of the Church of Christ does it take to change a light bulb? Five, one to change the bulb and four to serve refreshments. How many Presbyterians does it take to change a light bulb? Answer, several committees must meet to review the idea first. And then finally, how many brethren does it take to change a light bulb? Answer, change? That could be Presbyterians as well. In fact, we could even say, how many Presbyterians, I mean, how many light bulbs does it take to change a Presbyterian? We don't know what it will be like when that day comes. But one thing is clear. We will not return to the way things once were. Life will be different. Church is going to be different and we're going to be different. As I stated earlier in a church-wide email, the events of 2020 have taught us two hard lessons. We can take nothing for granted, and we must adapt to change. The kind of change we live with represents a shift in our culture. In an October 2020 Harvard Business Review article, authors Anil Chima and Ron Gutman stated that 2020 may not have been an anomaly, but may represent a new norm for living with change that has three aspects to it. Change that is perpetual, in other words, occurring all the time in an ongoing way. Change that is pervasive, that is unfolding in multiple areas of life all at once. And change that is exponential, that is accelerating at an increasingly rapid rate. If they are correct, and I suspect they are, then we as a church must accept what has changed and find effective ways to adapt to what continues to change, to build resilience and to grow through it. The kind of change we're talking about reflects a cultural and sociological shift in the way we live, work, experience community, and it's still in process. In the coming months, our church leadership will be paying close attention to the extent and the effect of this shift and what it may mean for how we gather together for worship as a congregation, how we make disciples, how we engage in mission and service to our wider community and in the world. We're not waiting until the pandemic is under control, but we're making this a strategic goal now to identify and implement the way we prepare and adapt to this shift. Authors Chimma and Gutman state that change requires strong relationships, fluid communication, and a foundation of trust. As a church, I believe we have what is needed to adapt and grow through change. We have a solid foundation of trust in God, in our leadership, and in one another. We provide consistent and responsive avenues of communication, and we are interconnected by relational bonds to one another. Though we may not want change, We will not ignore the shift we are in, but accept its challenge and with God's help prepare for what lies ahead. Finally, I offer this word of encouragement and hope from this biblical story. Few of us like change, especially the kind that happens to us in the form of a sea change. Change that is drastic, disruptive, and relentless. Change can call us to feel vulnerable, confused, and frustrated to the point that we just want to return to the way things were before. But not all change is bad. This man's life story reminds us that sometimes a dramatic change can be for the better. I recall a greeting card a friend showed me one time that pictured a cat looking out from under a pile of garbage that had been dropped on his head from a truck. The caption on the outside read, when life dumps its load of garbage on you, and then you continue reading on the inside, hold your nose and look for the good stuff. We need not assume that all change is bad. There may be a lot more good to come from it than we ever thought possible. And the other observation I would remind us about from this story is that God and Jesus Christ is with us and leads us through whatever change comes our way. Rather than focus on all the effects of change on us, let us instead put our focus on Jesus, whom the author of Hebrews reminds us is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If we keep our eyes on Jesus, then whatever life brings our way, we will be less concerned about the way things were or the way things are or the way things might be. Because God will be at work for our good. So may it be according to God's word.